This podcast is sponsored by Doc2Doc, the personal lending platform designed for doctors by doctors. Doc2Doc believes that traditional lenders overestimate the risk of lending money to doctors, focusing too much on the challenges of their financial past and giving them insufficient credit for the promise of their financial future. On the Herd podcast, our goal is educating, empowering, and engaging our listeners, including doctors, in the best ways that we can. We love what Doc2Doc is doing within our community and encourage you to visit their website at www.doctodoclending.com. That's www.doc, the number two, doclending.com forward slash FPD to learn more today. A 40-year-old woman suffers from chronic pain and fatigue. After years of suffering and a battery of tests, She now has a diagnosis of fibromyalgia. She begins a variety of treatments, including medication and physical therapy. So she starts to do her own research into her diagnosis and find a possible treatment to help manage her pain and fatigue, acupuncture. She sees that this treatment has been grouped in a category of quote-unquote alternative therapies, and she doesn't know what to make of this. Will acupuncture be helpful? What kind of research has been done, and what is the data on acupuncture? And is acupuncture something she should try? Welcome to The Hurt by Dr. Mira Kirpaker and Dr. Alopi Patel. We are the female pain docs. This is a platform to contribute to the public discourse on women's pain and general health. We are here to empower women and men to engage in the advancement of their health with discussions of evidence-based medicine, unconventional topics, lifestyle modifications, and more. The views contained in this podcast are our personal views and do not represent the views of our institutions. This does not substitute medical advice. Please be evaluated by a physician if necessary. Welcome back to another episode of the Herb Podcast, Season 4. So today, we're going to focus on a pain therapy we've very briefly mentioned in various episodes in the past, but have never really dived into. That's right, acupuncture. Often, acupuncture has been classified as a pseudoscience, really a bunch of quackery, but the global acupuncture market was worth U.S. $24.55 billion in 2017, and is estimated that the industry will reach a market size of $55 billion by 2023. Now, acupuncture has been used to treat a variety of pain conditions, and is even accepted as a medical treatment by many medical societies. In fact, relevant to Dr. Patel in my field, the American Society of Anesthesiology and the American Society of Regional Anesthesia Chronic Pain Task Force agreed that acupuncture may be considered as an adjuvant to conventional therapy, basically an adjuvant to medications, physical therapy, and exercise, in the treatment of nonspecific non-inflammatory low back pain. And there are many more examples of this. So Dr. Patel and I both get asked so often by patients if acupuncture could be beneficial for their pain, so we wanted to get an expert opinion. So joining me today will be Dr. Saloni Sharma, a dual board-certified physician in physical medicine and rehabilitation and pain management. Dr. Sharma is medical director of the Orthopedic Integrative Health Center at Rotham Orthopedics and a clinical assistant professor at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital in Philadelphia. She specializes in the non-operative care of musculoskeletal pain and dysfunction, employing a multimodal approach with a focus in the use of acupuncture. Now, Dr. Sharma has studied lifestyle medicine, functional medicine, and integrative medicine at University of Arizona. She's also studied yoga and meditation at Thomas Jefferson University, acupuncture at Harvard University, 
and completed Stanford's Physician Wellbeing Director course. She serves on multiple national committees for physical medicine and rehabilitation, has been voted for top doctor by her peers, and also serves on the Opioid Task Force, committed to supporting alternatives to opioids. Additionally, Dr. Sharma recently released her own book called The Pain Solution, Five Steps to Relieve and Prevent Back Pain, Muscle Pain, and Joint Pain Without Medication. So definitely check that out for more in-depth information. You can also find more information about her on her website, www.salonisharmamd.com, as well as her Instagram handle, at salonisharmamd. So welcome, Dr. Sharma. All right. So for our audience, let's start with, you know, what is acupuncture? Sure. So acupuncture physically is the insertion of fine needles along meridians, and it's based a lot in Chinese medicine, as well as Japanese medicine. And it's thought to help relieve pain and block energy flow. So there's a concept of qi or energy. And the Eastern philosophy is that the energy gets blocked and acupuncture helps with the flow of energy and release the blockage. The Western medicine approach has found that it's helpful. And I know we're going to dig into that a little bit more um, with functional MRIs and other studies, but that's sort of an overview of how acupuncture works. Uh, when did it kind of start getting more incorporated into Western medicine? I think it's, there's been an interest for many years, but uh, with a lot of things that it paralleled with mindfulness and several other Eastern philosophies came into play. Actually, interestingly, um, Medicare actually just started covering it this year. So that's how mainstream it is now. It, it's really something that um, people have accepted. And there's a lot of data, which I know we'll dig into as well. Excellent. So how long have you been doing this? I've been doing this for more than 10 years. So I was trained wow. through the um, Harvard Physician course. So it's for someone who's already um, trained as a physician and completed medical school and then does this and sort of an accelerated program. But it was great to uh, sort of have like another tool and a toolkit. So as far as, you know, Western medicine goes and kind of looking at acupuncture, do we know how exactly it works as far as neurotransmitters or endorphins? Like, do we know actually how it works? Are there theories out there about it? Yes, there's lots of theories. And um, like I said, there are objective ways to measure it. So functional MRI, PET scans, EEG monitoring of the brain, they have shown that there's neurophysiological effects with acupuncture. Um, there's some thoughts that it activates the endogenous opioid or um, pain controlling centers, and they've actually seen those light up on some of these studies. Their, their belief is that it's a combination of um, neurotransmitters and kind of opioids that are activated and help with pain control. And some of the studies actually show that something that reverses opioids effects naloxone, for example, um, can block acupuncture's effect. So that's one of the ways that these theories have been put together. Oh, wow. So, you know, getting more into that in terms of pain, you know, there's a lot of pain conditions that we kind of go ahead and ask patients to try acupuncture for what pain conditions typically are treated using acupuncture. So fibromyalgia has some good data. There was a recent study in 2022 the Journal of Pain Research that actually looked at 13 different articles and they found moderate evidence that it actually had long-term effect as well and improved pain, but also well-being, which is so important for our patients as their overall health. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's something that, you know, especially with a condition like fibromyalgia, which is a whole body condition, it's helpful to have something that improves well-being. There's also been studies on low back pain, neck pain, migraines, arthritis. There's actually a lot of data one of the best studies is a 2017 systematic review for the American College of Physicians, and they actually put out practice guidelines, and they found moderate evidence for low back pain, especially, which as we know, is such a huge issue uh, in our society. 
Absolutely. And especially I think with low back pain, um, a lot of the kind of low back pain studies that we've seen is sort of quote unquote, non-specific low back pain. And I kind of think of that a lot of times as, you know, low back pain that either isn't being treated properly with traditional methods or something where it's just causing it. Uh, but then you do acupuncture and it does help with that. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's nice to have something else to offer people that's not invasive, that's low risk, that's not habit forming, especially with the opioid crisis. You know, you and I both work, um, you know, with pain patients, or I hate that term, actually, let me clarify patients with pain, um, you know, and so we know that there's limited options and there's always side effects and they're dangerous. And this is fairly low risk. And like I said, a lot of insurers are covering it now. So I think it's, it's a reasonable thing to try. And we'll get more into sort of how all of that works in a second, but, you know, as far as um, pain goes, so that is one of the many options as far as pain treatment goes, how do you generally, since you also treat pain, you know, how do you generally approach uh, patients with pain? Um, is this something you kind of offer right off the bat? Is this something that, uh, or what's your sort of method with who you recommend acupuncture to? Sure. That's a great question. And a lot of people nowadays ask about it. Um, they see it on my bio online because people are very savvy. And so they read up about their doctors. So they know about that, but um, not everyone does. And I was taught in residency that there's five ways to treat pain in general. And the first is lifestyle approaches. So eating right, you know, sleep, stress, good relationships, exercise, then physical therapy, then medications, then injections, then surgery. So I consider that kind of like a traditional approach. It's nicely organized in stepwise fashion, gets a little more invasive as you move up the tiers. But I think acupuncture is sort of something that is in addition. So I'll mention that five-fold approach to my patients. And then I'll say there's also other things such as mindfulness, such as acupuncture. A lot of them ask about chiropractic care um, and other sort of non-drug treatments. And so I think there's a big interest in this. Where do you kind of see that in that five-step uh, tier that you mentioned? Um, is that something that if the patient brings it up for you, or is that more something, you know, you, um, broach prior to let's say medications or, uh, injections? That's a great question. Cause it's really tricky. So I think some people aren't open to treatments that aren't traditional treatments. So you always want to be mindful with your patients that is this something they're interested in? Um, will it make them think that maybe you're like a quack, you bring it up. So you sort of want to <laughs> gauge them a little bit because, um, not everyone obviously reads the latest study that shows this evidence for acupuncture, right? So um, not everyone knows all the information. That's where your podcast is so helpful because it gives people information, but uh, I'll sort of see what they feel and, and sort of get a sense of who they are. Um, most of the people who are interested will ask me about it. So I don't push it hard, but if someone is sort of hedging on, let's say they've done like the lifestyle stuff a little bit, which is, you know, constant work in progress, um, they've done the physical therapy and they either don't want to take medications or they don't want to do an injection, I'll say, well, here's something else, right? So a lot of people are like, I don't want anything that's very invasive. I don't want to be, you know, hooked on pills. They'll use terminology like that. And so um, then that's, well, I'll bring this up there. You know, it's funny that you use the word quack because literally if you just go to Google and you like type in acupuncture, obviously Wikipedia shows up and the first line, I think, uh, in that is like describing it as quackery medicine, like it's describing it as, uh, or not that, that it is, but it's like thought to be, um, which I just found to be so just 
ridiculous, but I just found that to be so interesting that that's how it would be described in such a big forum when patients would look it up. And the first thing they might see is that it's just a bunch of crockery, even though there are multiple studies showing its benefit. Yeah, it's terrible. I mean, and you don't know where someone's getting their information. And there's so many voices that aren't talking about evidence-based studies that aren't talking about the literature, aren't talking about healthcare professionals who have experience, you know, across the board, even, um, you know, people who aren't physicians too, but who are practicing evidence-based treatments. And so I think that's important that, you know, we have a stronger voice through podcasts like this and through other venues of sharing, this is the evidence, this is what it shows. And some of the studies, older studies showed that sham acupuncture had some efficacy too, as much as real acupuncture. And I've had colleagues bring that up to me as sort of like, oh, well, why are you doing it? Sham acupuncture works just as well. And it's like, guess what? It worked. So whether it was acupuncture or sham acupuncture, it is helping the patients. It is not a drug. It is not a surgery. It's not a super invasive procedure. So you know what, if it's helping people and whether people want to call some of it, and I definitely, you know, based on the slides cannot say all of it, but some of it, the placebo effect, I'm okay with that. I'm happy to help people get better without pills and very invasive procedures. I agree with that. Um, I mean, you know, whenever I have patients who say that something that, uh, patients will bring that up themselves. They'll say something like, um, you know, I know that this sounds crazy, but this did help me. And I'm like, it doesn't sound crazy. And if it helps you fantastic, as long as it's not harmful to you in some way, it's fine to continue doing that for our audiences. Um, can you explain just a little bit, the difference between like acupuncture and what you mean by sham acupuncture? Sure. So in Chinese medicine and acupuncture, there are pathways called meridians. That is where the chi or the energy flows. And so there's very specific points. And that's why there's a formal education of all with acupuncture, even for physicians. And these are the points you use in specific ways, depending on their condition. But sham acupuncture is using points that aren't real. So fake points in between the points. And so it's still a one-on-one encounter with a person. It's still a discussion. It's still hands on skin. It's still possibly infrared light like I use. It's possibly still tiger bombs. So there's still other components of it that could help with uh, pain or health that um, maybe get confounded into, well, those points weren't the exact real perfect point. So, you know, that's, that's fake acupuncture. And I think that really takes away a lot from what human interaction is. And, and that's part of the reason I enjoy doing acupuncture. And I enjoy, they also run an integrative center working with my integrative patients is because it's more time, right? And that's what we all want. That's what physicians want. That's what patients want is more time to actually connect with a person and understand their situation. So when I'm doing acupuncture, I'm in a room with a patient um, for 10 minutes for the first part. For uh, First, we do the needles face up and then they get onto their belly and we do them the, the back. Um, and then for another 10 minutes there too. So that's close to 20 minutes that I'm just talking as we're going. I'm trying to keep them at ease, obviously, but I end up learning a lot about their life and lifestyle. And we can sort of slowly and gently tweak some of those factors too, as we're talking. And so I think there's something more to it than just the actual needle placement. Um, you know, it is yes, infrared light and yes, the tiger bomb, which loosens some of the muscles, but I think it's also that human connection and someone actually listening to what your day-to-day issues are and working on those too. That's a really interesting point that you brought up there, because I think that does tie into the mental health aspect of acupuncture. A lot of times, I mean, I'm sure you experience the same, a lot of times in medicine, we want to spend more time with the patient but you're limited. You're limited by how much time you can spend. A lot of things are limited by, um, you know, insurance companies, things of that nature. And so that I think is also a huge benefit to me with acupuncture is that 
I find it as something where it's therapeutic, not just for the specific problem they're coming in for, but also for their overall mental health, because you do get that extra time, like you mentioned with the patient. For sure. I mean, we talk about upcoming weddings, other events, you know, good things and, and stressful things too, you know, work things, um, vacations and, and you really get to know the person. And I think that makes a big impact. I mean, a lot of it is human connection within, you know, this digital world is, is very lacking. And so it makes a huge difference. And even backing up to what we were talking about before, if you don't mind, when we were talking about, you know, placebo effect, um, I don't know how familiar your audience is with the nocebo effect. Oh, go ahead. Explain it. Yeah. So the nocebo effect is, um, you know, that if you decide this treatment is not going to work for you, then it has a much higher chance of not working for you. So if you go into acupuncture, so that's why I don't offer it broadly to everyone. Cause if there's someone who says, well, this is bogus, then there's a higher chance. It's not going to work for that person. And so the nocebo effect has actually been found to be stronger than the placebo effect, which is believing that a uh, treatment, whether it's fake or real is going to help you. Um, so the nocebo effect is really powerful. And so it's really about patient selection sometimes. And that's not just true for acupuncture, as you know, it's, it's for everything. It's, it's for an injection. It's for a certain kind of physical therapy. It's for certain kind of medications. Everyone's an individual and some things work better for one person and not the other. But I definitely think having a mindset of, I want to get better. And I think this may be able to help me is going to help your patients. Oh, I absolutely agree with that. I know we're getting a little off track from the acupuncture, but that's totally fine. That's what we do on this podcast. When we have, when we have interviewers with us, we kind of sometimes go a little bit off track, but I think it's all part of the same thing and it's still very helpful. Uh, but I completely agree with that. I often tell patients for any kind of treatment I'm going to offer, um, you know, if the patient is like, I don't think this is going to help me. I'm like, I don't think we should do it then because, because your attitude going in there is going to make a big difference of how well you're going to tolerate the, let's say procedure, but whatever it might be, um, how well you're going to tolerate it and how you're going to do from it. If you go in there kind of, and I'm not saying that you need to go in there thinking like this is hundred percent going to work for me, but at least having an open mind to it, at least having a positive coming in there with like some hope as opposed to coming in there and just, just saying that this is absolutely not going to do anything for me. It does make a very big difference. And I think there have been several studies that have even, I mean, and there's been lots of studies on placebo and nocebo effect, which are fascinating. Um, but there also have been studies that kind of look at uh, emotion as far as, you know, the power of negative emotion versus positive. And I don't remember the exact one off the top of my head, but it basically, you know, it, it takes a lot more positive emotion to override one sort of negative emotion or negative thought. So you know, if your negative thoughts are sort of outweighing your positive in general, it's, it's very difficult to, um, have things work unless you reverse that. So that's absolutely true for, I think for any kind of pain treatment, because ultimately pain is subjective and it is what you're feeling. That's so true. And yeah, I think to piggyback on that, it's that negativity bias that you're referring to, right? So I think the one study said that, you know, even getting, um, six, sort of criticisms is so much worse for your body than getting six positive compliments. So the one study showed that for one negative comment, it takes six positives to sort of undo that and to convince your mind that, you know, you are, you know, good at X or you deserve X or um, X is working for you. So I think it's really hard. That's a survival thing we're wired with is to have this negativity bias to protect us, you know, and be mindful of things that are potentially harmful to us. But, you know, we need to sort of balance that out a little bit 
And that gets into some, you know, some of the things related to acupuncture too, you know, is activating the relaxation response, right? So your parasympathetic system, as opposed to your sympathetic system and really taking some time to um, be present. And that's another thing that we didn't really get to yet, but with acupuncture, when I treat my patients, I mean, they're laying 20 minutes face up and 15 minutes on their belly and they don't usually have their phone. Okay. They don't usually have a book. Some, some of my patients do, but usually not. They're just there. They're just kind of there being, you know, mindful and present. There's nothing to do. There's no one to impress. There's no, um, you know, test at the end. <laughs> it's just being mindful and being present in that moment. And, you know, there's a lot of great data about mindfulness. So if someone's practicing mindfulness for 35 minutes that day, regardless of the acupuncture, I think that can have another layer of benefit too. I think that's, that's absolutely true because you could look at those 35 minutes as your time to meditate and slow down and calm down. And just for our audience purposes, um, you know, when you earlier mentioned sympathetic and parasympathetic response systems, you know, when we're talking about our sympathetic, we're talking about essentially our fight and flight. So, you know, that, uh, energy drive that, that immediate want to respond to something as opposed to sort of a calming effect that you have with the other, just to kind of break that down a little bit. Um, and I, and I agree. So I, I, it sounds to me like with acupuncture, at least for your patients, it's a combination of both the actual acupuncture itself, but also that time to relax and potentially meditate. So you're kind of combining acupuncture with mindfulness at the same time. Yeah, I, I guess I am. And honestly, I never really thought about it till this moment, till this conversation, <laughs> but I mean, the more we think about it, I mean, the more logical it, it is. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't have 20 minutes a day that I'm not looking at my phone. I mean, my phone or my computer or, you know, you know, the electronic medical record and, and things like that. Um, you know, I'm pretty much always have a device in a 20 minute period. You know, even when I exercise now, I have the TV on. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, it, it's always something. So I think that that gift of um, not having some input is really helpful. You know, it's funny that you say that because uh, I was talking about that to, with someone else the other day about how the way our society is wired now it's, it, you always have to be doing something, you know? So it's like, you can't just sit still. You always have to be looking at something, uh, reading something, watching something you're on your phone, you're scrolling, you know, how many times do we walk down the street and pretty much everyone around you is scrolling through a phone, uh, as they're walking. And that's just sort of normal. Um, and the tension spans have decreased to where you have, you know, you, you don't process information as well, unless it's given to you in short bursts. That's just the way kind of our society in a lot of ways has gone. And I think that's detrimental to our mental health overall, unless you take the time to force yourself to spend, you know, 20 minutes a day, just slowing down. It is. It really has. It's a huge impact. And unfortunately, I think with the pandemic, you know, it's gotten worse, right? We're zooming more, we're more um, connecting electronically and it's not the same as in-person connection or even just going outside. I mean, there's abundant data about time outside helping with stress, inflammation, and pain, all three really, and just overall well-being. And if you don't have a painful condition just for your overall health, just taking a, you know, a nature walk or forest bathing or whichever term you want to use, but just being outside can have such a huge impact. And, and not, like you said, not being outside, looking at your phone, though, <laughs> being outside and not looking at your phone. That's the tricky part. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the tricky part. Leave the phone at home. <laughs> Well, getting back to acupuncture. So we've kind of touched on some of the pain conditions, um, you know, just for our audience purposes so far. And you had mentioned this earlier, um, 
there have been a lot of different studies that have looked at acupuncture so far as far as pain conditions. And I'm just going to recap the the major sort of pain conditions that has been um, looked at. And fibromyalgia was the big one. That's the one that you had absolutely mentioned before. And then low back pain. And then other studies have also looked at neck pain, migraines, and arthritis. And so far for sort of these, these major five conditions, it's been anywhere from moderately helpful to very helpful. Uh, fibromyalgia, I think being the sort of biggest one, as far as the number of studies and how helpful it has been, but overall it's been a positive benefit regardless. So I think that this is a excellent treatment for pain beyond pain. Um, you'd also mentioned mental health as something that acupuncture can be helpful with what sort of non-pain conditions, uh, do we use acupuncture for, or that you've used acupuncture for? I've primarily used it for pain because I'm a pain physician, but, um, for my, in my own family life, my personal life, um, you know, I've used it for nausea and there's a lot of good data about nausea and vomiting, especially in the post-operative period. So after our surgery, um, even for my children, I've gotten the nausea bands, which again, um, they are based, actually you have to put them in the right spot, but they are based on an acupuncture point, which is pericardium six. And the traditional way is three finger breaths from your wrist crease down is where you would, you would put that band or, um, you know, the actual needle, if you're getting a real acupuncture treatment. So, um, there's a lot of good data for, for that as well. Um, I have seen the data for nausea and from what I was seeing, it was, it can also be used during pregnancy. Definitely. Yeah. And uh, so it can be used people who are trying to get pregnant. So they're going through the whole fertility process. Um, and I know that this is something that you guys have covered in your podcast before, but you know, there was a study in 2021 that found that women undergoing egg retrieval actually had lower anesthesia requirements and overall pain when they used acupuncture. And I know that's been a big topic for you guys from your last season. So I think that's probably pretty relevant. Um, and also for post-operative pain, um, and for C-sections. So there's, there's a lot of ways where it comes into play. And I would say even, um, you know, for traditional pregnancy, you know, you can get nauseous and it can be intense and any little help, I think, um, you know, is, is a positive. Absolutely. I'm actually going to recap that study that you mentioned because it, it was very interesting. Um, last season, we had done a couple episodes on IVF and egg retrieval, just kind of talking about the whole process of it, but we hadn't really touched so much on the pain aspect of doing um, egg retrieval or the um, both intraoperative and postoperative pain of it. So there was a study that you mentioned that was in 2021, and it looked at women undergoing egg retrieval and basically it compared the anesthesia requirements and overall pain for the egg retrieval process when using acupuncture. So they looked at 14 randomized control trials, basically like over 2,500 patients in total, and found that acupuncture combined with sedation was noted to have less intraoperative and postoperative pain as compared to just sedation alone. And then they also looked at postoperative pain and they compared acupuncture along with um, using acupuncture with NSAIDs, so things like ibuprofen, compared to just ibuprofen alone. And the acupuncture plus the NSAIDs was more helpful for, for postoperative pain. And then that C-section study. Um, now, this is, I think, a this is, I think, a really interesting one because the C-sections are so common 
Um, and pain after C-section is a big topic, I think, because it's not quite the same as a regular sort of non-complicated vaginal delivery. There is just a bigger recovery process. It's, it's basically major abdominal surgery, but everyone seems to forget a lot of times that a C-section is basically a major abdominal surgery. And this particular study looked at acupuncture versus placebo um, for patients that were going to be undergoing a C-section. So they all received the same anesthesia. They all received the same post-operative pain medications, but one group got acupuncture for a month leading up to the C-section and another group got the sham procedure. And the patients that actually got the acupuncture uh, one month before their C-section were able to, they had less post-operative pain and they were able to get up, uh, be more mobile and walk around sooner after the C-section, which I think is a very, very big deal because you have a newborn that you need to um, take care of. And so to be able to have less pain and be able to move afterwards is just such a big, such a big deal. So I think those two studies in particular were really interesting because I feel like acupuncture hasn't really been explored as an option for intraoperative and postoperative pain control. Um, and this, I think, is a nice new way of looking at it to where hopefully there'll be more studies and it starts to become a little more commonplace to be used not only for chronic pain patients, but also for patients that might be undergoing surgery in the future. Yeah, it's such a beautiful thing. I mean, again, the medications, there's just so many potential side effects, short-term and long-term that anything we can do to reduce usage, whether for nausea, whether for vomiting, whether for pain, um, you know, it's just a, a bonus. Absolutely. You know, the, the, now the common sort of um, treatment for pain intraoperatively and postoperatively for the, you know, around the world would be opioids. That's sort of the, the, the common way to treat pain. And we're finding more and more that that's really not the way to go. So even for, for me as an anesthesiologist, you know, intraoperatively, whenever we can, we try to do nerve blocks instead of relying on uh, opioids and the same thing in the post-operative period. And we try to use non-opioid medications as much as possible. And I think this would also be a great extra sort of treatment to just bring down overall usage of um, opioids or reliance on medications, and then also be able to get patients up and moving faster. Yeah. There's so much potential benefit to it. And, and like we said, the biggest thing is, you know, the, the oath that physicians take is do no harm. And so there's really little to no harm with this. There's maybe slight bruising and things like that. So it, it's, it's, it's really safe. So speaking of what would be, are there any potential dangers or side effects to you to doing acupuncture or are any patients where um, you wouldn't do acupuncture other than those who don't want it, obviously. You know, there can be some local bruising or skin irritation. Sometimes it'll be like a little drop of blood at, at most from what I've seen. Even people on blood thinners don't tend to bleed very much. It's very superficial. It's um, the needles are inserted maybe one or two, maybe three millimeters at most um, into the skin. So it's not a very deep thing. Anytime there's any kind of needle breach of the skin, there's always a risk of infection. You know, knock on wood, I've never seen that with acupuncture because it's so, so superficial. Um, you know, some people do feel a little lightheaded or um, dehydrated after, and we always say to hydrate with water in general. So sometimes um, a couple people might have to lay down a little bit afterwards. And this has only happened once in 10 years, but um, I did have someone where it affected their actual mood. So they, um, they already had a, a very, very large psychiatric history. And so, um, you know, things were kind of in a gentle balance. And so um, they kind of felt down from acupuncture, which, I, which I've never had before. 
So that was only one time. So I think that might be something to mention to people is that, you know, if your mood feels different and, and not in a good way, then maybe it's not for you. Just like certain medicines have side effects and it's, you know, it's not the right fit for you, but that's the only thing I've seen once. So um, the people who I went to it on would be someone who had, you know, active infection uh, in the region where the needles were going to go. Um, you know, people who are febrile. So it was systemic whole body infection of a fever. Um, and if someone has, you know, an active cancer, they wouldn't want to be in the region, at least of, um, you know, their primary issue. And how many sessions generally do you recommend? Or is it pretty much very individualized? The way I was taught is it's six sessions, but I tell people, um, and, you know, after three sessions, you can sort of tell just like a medicine or some other treatment, this is either it works for me or it doesn't. So I wouldn't say it's something where you just get one treatment and, you know, either you feel a lot better or you don't, you know, it's kind of in that way, like physical therapy, it's something you have to do over a period of time to see some benefit. So I generally people give it three sessions. And if you're really not seeing a benefit, then I probably wouldn't do the full course. Got it. And once they've had their, let's say six sessions, um, how often would someone need to repeat acupuncture? That is very customized. So I, I would start out with, um, so the six sessions would be a week apart, ideally, you know, depending on schedules. And then after that, this, after that, I would do a session that was like a month apart. So four to six weeks apart, and then sort of do a maintenance like that, but it's as needed. So if someone finds some benefits last for eight weeks and we can stretch it out to eight weeks, you know, and if some people just need to come in like twice a year, that's great too. So it really depends on what else they're doing. And I think, you know, we're like-minded in that we take a multimodal approach. So it's not just leave everything to acupuncture, right? It's, are you doing your physical therapy stretches? You know, are you eating right? Are you sleeping well? And acupuncture is just one more piece of that. Got it. The last thing I want to touch on is electroacupuncture. I'm not sure whether or not you do electroacupuncture, but that's sort of been the newer, um, the newer method of acupuncture that I've seen patients have done, which basically involves a small electric current that passes in between the acupuncture needles. And I have seen some studies where that seemed like compared to traditional acupuncture, in some cases that might be more effective. Any, any thoughts regarding this? So it's not something that I practice. Uh, I only have one other colleague who practices acupuncture where I work and she does use electroacupuncture. There has been some studies um, suggesting that it helps more with the opioid mediated analgesia. So it helps more with the opioid receptors. Um, and that's one theory, but in general, the concept is that it's more effective over a shorter time because it's more of an intense stimulation of the acupuncture points. So I think people who do it, it can be helpful. I've had some patients who like it and it's too intense for them, so they don't care for it. So it can vary a little bit. I see. So it seems like maybe the potential benefit is that possibly you need less sessions because it's more, more if you can tolerate it, it's a more intense uh, session when you do have it. I think so. But again, I don't want to misspeak since I don't practice it. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I think that's everything that we have for today. And thank you so much for joining us. This was hugely helpful because it's something that uh, we get questions on. I know Dr. Patel and I get questions on this all the time. Um, and I really wanted to get an expert opinion uh, on this before, because since we, neither one of us practices with acupuncture and you are one of our colleagues who does. So uh, thank you again for joining us. Any last thoughts? First of all, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And I hope it does help your audience members a lot just to sort of have another thing in their, in their repertoire of what they can do to help with pain. But I think the last thought is, you know, we have the power to feel better and sometimes we just need a little help. And I think just empowering yourself with lifestyle changes and other things can make other treatments helpful too. So if someone needs an epidural steroid injection, for example, 
They could still also have acupuncture. They could still also work on their stress and diet. And that's just going to make that injection more effective and last longer. It's going to enhance it or optimize it. So I think we all have the power to optimize our treatments. It's just that maybe we haven't heard of these things. And so thank you for, for giving a voice to them. Absolutely. And thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you all on the next episode. We would love to hear your thoughts. Visit our Instagram at the female pain docs for more content. Send us an email at the female pain docs at Gmail. If you have any topics in particular, you would like us to discuss. You can also visit our website at www.thefemalepaindocs.com. See you next time.